Hey, Three Crosses family, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Pastor AJ. I oversee life groups and discipleship, and we are in the midst of our Explore God series. If you need to catch up on any sermons in this series, make sure to listen to them on the podcast. You'll notice we started uploading the sermons, or you can check them out on YouTube. Today, we are excited to rebroadcast our Wednesday night conversation in response to this claim, life is good. So why should I care about God? If you're interested in joining this conversation, make sure to check out threecrosses.church slash community nights, where you can learn about what's happening here on Wednesday nights, and you can submit your own questions to the Explore God panel. So now, here is this week's Explore God conversation. Let's go deeper. So we're going to start tonight by asking Larry to give us a recap of his message, uh, just a brief recap of the main ideas of his message, and then I'll have the rest of the panel introduce themselves. Okay. Thank you, Patty. It's great to see everybody. I have to ask the question, who is in first service on Sunday? Okay. Who is in second service? Okay. So you second service people, actually, <laughs> I on Sunday, at the end, the first service people remember I told a story at the beginning about, you know, a church that sent me junk mail, and and how I threw it all away. Well, I'd sort of set that up because at the end of the message, I came back to say, which the second service people didn't hear because I forgot to say this, that... That was the best part. I know. I know. And there's, there's some reasons for why maybe that went out of my head. But the point is, you needed to know that that junk mail came again and I threw it away. But then it, something prompted me to go look at it. And there was a a very gracious letter from the church apologizing for the delay and sending me an honorarium, which I'd never asked for, but an honorarium for all the times I'd spoken there. And it was a sizable check. And I had talked to the pastor at one point to say, um, you know, he asked me, do I require an honorarium? And I said, no. So I threw it away, but I did find it. And so it was really great because had I never found it, I'm sure the pastor would just said, well, he said he didn't want to check. So, you know, so... Okay, so anyway, I was grateful <laughs> that the Lord did that. Okay, so real quick recap. Um, we basically broke the sermon into three parts. The first part was just what I called a Christian apologetic. What do we say to people who say this? My life is good. Why do I need God? And I offered just a few very simple things. I was on a backpack trip with a guy. I asked a few guys on this backpack trip the same question. They're Christians. And I said, what would you say to that? And the first guy just blurted out. He goes, well, I would tell people that if they don't care about God, they're going to spend eternity in hell. That's what he said. He said, so it's important to care about God. I said, you know, that's absolutely right. But we started with the apologetic, and then we went to an urgent invitation, which one of the two things that everybody should know, even if they have that view, God cares for them, even if they don't care about God. And yes, there is a pathway to an eternity of separation from God, and you can get what you wish, and that's that's a reality. And then we kind of closed the sermon with just a a personal challenge for we as believers. How can we be used by God to, in his providence, to maybe um, help someone open their heart a little bit? And so we talked about uh, personally being patient with people, not judging them, giving them time because they don't understand. And then secondly, uh, to, to look at where we are. are. Is our life compelling? Are we inviting people into a relationship with God by the way we live, not just our words? And then finally, 
um, are we repenting of our own apathy? Because apathy is not a problem just for unbelievers. Spiritual apathy, it's a problem for believers too. So, yeah, so it was very simple, but um, hopefully touch hearts. And, and, um, and we did post the first service for our website <laughs> since the second service didn't have the illustration that I was hoping people would connect with. So anyway, that's it. I, I was excited to hear it again. Even though I was in first service, it, it was such a powerful ending. So I'd love to have um, our other two panelists introduce themselves and share what impacted you or intrigued you from Sunday's message as you've been thinking about this idea of spiritual apathy. Hi, my name is Ashley, and I'm the ministry director of Cafe Four. Um, I think two things. This statement, one of the statements Larry made was talking about apathy being the illusion of control um, and just resonating that with when people are apathetic about something, it kind of feels like you're in control of that. And then relational clout and just that idea that if you're trying to speak into somebody's life, like you have to have that relationship. If you're really going to go deep with people or bring up like, hey, if, if you don't want to spend eternity separated from God, like you need this, you need this in your life, but the emphasis that you have to have a relationship with that person. And, you know, if you're going to say something like that to them. I'm Eric Choi. I'm a member of Three Crosses. I've been here since 2005 with my wife and my kids are back at home. Um, two things. That's and he's also an elder <laughs> of our church. So don't forget that part. Sometimes it's just kind of nice to hide, you know, <laughs> but, I, but I, I feel I learned that when you feel like hiding, you should come out. And when you want to put yourself out there, you should go into hiding. So um, number one thing that stood out was the, the quote you gave from Augustine, which was, what do you love? That to me just, it, it made me start thinking about that day to day and like hour to hour, like what's, what, what's in the middle of my heart? The other one was uh, part two, point one, God cares about you. To be able to say this to uh, a spiritually apathetic person, I think, is it, it could move them and it could make them feel included and loved in a way that maybe they don't normally receive. And so I, I love that. And uh, it reminds me when I drop off my girls at school, I don't care who's around, if you're a believer or non-believer, if I know you, if I don't know you, if, if I give them a quick little prayer, I'll say, Jesus loves you, and he loves everybody here just the same, you know, and I, I want to always share that with him. It just reminds me of uh, he cares about everybody. I, I like that one. I think, I think for me it was similar, Eric. Um, what really resonated and I've been chewing on all week is God cares about me. God is never apathetic about me even when I'm apathetic about him. In fact, when I'm apathetic about him, he's even moves in closer because he knows I'm in misery when I'm apathetic with him. So I've just been chewing a lot on what does it mean that God is never apathetic about me or about his world or about the things that I care about. That's such a powerful motivator. So I was just so grateful for that invitation and, and even the urgency of I don't want to miss out. So... So great. So we're so grateful for that you're here tonight and for your faithfulness in bringing the word. And thank you, Eric and Ashley, for being here with us too. But the first question I want us to look at is, um, is one that was submitted, and it goes like this. Last week, we heard, this is actually two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we heard that Pastor Ryan's neighbor is so nice, generous, and helpful to everyone around him. If so... 
then why does he still need God? Again, good, why does he need God? Is it so that he can become even nicer and more helpful? I'll, I'll own it because this is a residual question of a question I actually submitted two weeks ago. That uh, was so good, we want to keep talking about it. So thank you, Eric. Yeah, no, that's the, that's the effect that we want. So I'm, I'm glad it's working. Absolutely. So part of it is I struggle with wanting to know how, how is somebody who is not a believer potentially a better person in this community than a lot of folks that I know who are believers, right? I, I struggled with that. I, I wrestled with it and uh, I, I prayed over it. I talked to my wife, Helen, about it. Um, so I have this neighbor. He's such a good dude by the world standards. He's so good. And I, I thought, okay, if, if he's so good, where, where does his inspiration come from? What, what motivates him, right? And is, it, is he doing it for himself? Is he just very selfless and doing it for others? And I think a key difference there is one thing that's for certain is that he's not doing it for the Lord. And, and it, it kind of hurts me to know that. You know, he's, he's been on this property too, and I, I, I plan to invite him to the men's dinner. But uh, So you take that person and you add God into the mix, put the Holy Spirit in his heart, and then he'll be doing good, but instead of for himself or instead of just for his neighbor, he's doing this for the Lord's kingdom. And to me, that's in the, the center of everything. Um, in the men's ministry yesterday, we, we went over Daniel 2, and I, I love how Daniel professes, you know, the sorcerers, the magicians, they, they couldn't do this, but, but I serve a Lord who can. And to proclaim the Lord's name and show where your power comes from, show where anything good out of you comes from, is to me the, a, a huge difference that a relationship with Christ would allow you to do. And how might, I'm gonna um, push further if you're okay with that, Eric, how might that impact him if he's now motivated by something different than um, his neighbor's good or his own good, if he's motivated, has a kingdom motivation, how does, what difference does that make? Mm -hmm. it, it allows him to truly be a vessel, right? To allow God's power to flow through him. And it's also bringing him into that relationship with God to, to be loved and, and to receive God's love. Because, you know, like we were saying earlier, God cares for everyone, but you have to kind of choose to receive it, right? And so I think it allows him to receive that, to receive the, the true fulfillment that comes through only a relationship with, with our Lord. Oh. I think good is a relative term. And so it, we could say, well, you know, like compared to me, you know, Eric is good, you know, or something, you could say that in certain circumstances, but a comparison is not really a fair recognition of the real quality of good. In fact, Jesus said, no one is good, but God alone. Why do you call me good? He was challenging someone's assumption that he was a good teacher. But, but we have to remember that God didn't send his son Jesus to die on a cross to make bad people good. He died to make dead people live. You know, like the, the whole purpose of his coming was not to just give us a better life. Now, is it true that we have a better life? Absolutely. And is it true that we are saved for good works? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? We are saved to do good works. So we should be good. If anybody in our culture are good people, they should be Christians. And it's sad sometimes that 
non-Christians seem to wear a badge of goodness that even Christians don't seem to wear. And that troubles me, and I think that troubles the Lord too. We should, we should, try to, we should strive. Jesus went about doing good. Acts 14 talks about that. So it's a relative term. It's not the purpose of our salvation, but it should be the fruit of our salvation. And so the, na- the neighbor illustration is, well, Jesus has so much more for somebody than just to make them better. Uh, that, and, and that's, we all default with this good-bad narrative, right? Because even we think we're not even saved unless we're doing good. People come out of that from churches, whether whatever background, it's always about, am I good enough? And that's really not the question in salvation. It's not, are you good? You're never going to be good enough. All the sin and come short of the glory of God. So, um, yeah, so I, I just add that little component. I so appreciate you bringing up dead people alive. It made me think of, um, I grabbed a quote from Mere Christianity, thinking about this question, is right, similar thinking. Listen to this. Um, if you've never read Mere Christianity, a high read, especially if you're asking some of these skeptic questions, but C.S. Lewis writes, God became a man to turn creatures into sons and daughters, not simply to produce better men and women of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of humanity. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. Of course, once it has its wings, it will soar over fences, which could never have been jumped, and thus beat the natural horse at its own game. Isn't that powerful? I just love how he unpacks that, and I can see that in my own life, and I bet we could all testify that God has changed us into something different than we ever anticipated. There's something so much better than being more nicer and more helpful. It's finding out that the Spirit of God can actually change our hearts, shape our um, prejudices, um, eliminate our fears, um, give us strength and courage to do what we thought was impossible, um, to literally get to fly instead of just walk better. So I, but I love that part too that you're saying, Larry, about good and evil. And we really do do these categories. So I love alive, dead to alive, and something brand new. We become something brand new. So sometimes I wonder, and this might be something you could respond to. Maybe you have a thought, Ashley. Sometimes I wonder if this question is asked because I'm not, I'll stick with me, I'm not living new. I'm not really becoming somebody so completely different. And when you think about Jesus' words about turning the other cheek, walking an extra mile, giving of our tunic, um, forgiving our enemies, maybe we're not leaning, maybe I'm not leaning enough into being brand new. So then the comparisons are not, there isn't that, oh, she's, there's something that is not Patty in her. There must be a God. There's something supernatural in this person um, rather than just goodness or just niceness. Does that make sense? Do you have any thoughts on that, Ashley? Yeah, I think that's definitely important that people should recognize that we are living differently. Like if somebody, I think Larry, you kind of touched on this, if you know the nice non-Christian neighbor is standing out more than the Christians in the community, then that's a call to action for us as believers to live differently to make sure we are living like we're set apart. You know, the people that we live around, the people who 
see us in our day-to-day routines should know both as an individual and as a family, like, man, these people look different. There is something that I cannot pinpoint about this person that is different on the inside of them and it should really overflow. And I think on the flip side, like you can have great relationships with your neighbors and you can evangelize to your neighbors, but if they don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, you can only go so far in that relationship. There's only so much, um, so much you can do in life with them if they're missing that in their own hearts. Question two, why did God give us free will? Anybody ever want to know the answer to that question? There will, be, there will be no need for salvation if Adam and Eve weren't given a choice to commit the original sin. There will be no need for Christ to be our Savior if we never fell short of the glory of God. If we indeed were designed to have a possibility to make a wrong choice, then intrinsically God's creation is flawed. Does that mean God is not powerful enough to create beings as perfect as himself? Imagine AI nowadays, which were created to be flawless and make no mistakes. Do you agree that there is no need for God? If we were created flawlessly, we don't need God. For free will, the thing I initially go to is going back to creation. Um, Whoever asked this question to, um, hopefully if we're not answering it fully how you want it to. You'll speak up about it. But when we're talking about free will and God creating Adam and Eve, we're not looking at the entire story. We're just looking at creation in that moment. And we see God through creation. We see God in the fall. But we see God in redemption. And that is a beautiful um, example of how good and the glory of God. Because, like, yes, God created many beautiful things. But God also redeemed And we see that we have that relationship with Christ because of the redemption. We get to see the Holy Trinity in action because of the redemption as well in that. And so when I think about free will, we think God created them, but he also redeemed. And that just shows so much more of his power and so much more of his holiness through that and how we can understand him even more because he created us and yes, decisions were made and sin entered the world. But if he just made us these perfect beings who didn't really have any choice in following him, who didn't have any choice in what we did, then it wouldn't be real love. Like when we look about loving God, when we talk about loving people, um, thinking like your husband or your wife, like if they were just programmed to love you, that's not real love. That's just being robotic, these relationships, but because we have that free will, we have that free will to truly love him and truly worship him for, for who he is in his entirety. That's such a great question. And it's, these are hard questions, certainly. But we have to remember, you know, the purpose of God's creation. A, number one, God did not make a mistake in creating Adam and Eve. The question of could God make someone as perfect as him? Well, the answer to that is no because God is infinitely alone in his perfection. There's no one as perfect as God. But nonetheless, when he created Adam and Eve, they were, and the Bible tells us why he created humanity. I think it's uh, Isaiah 47, or no, 43, 7, that says that God created us uh, for his glory. That's number one. And then in Revelation 4, 11, we know that God created us 
for the pleasure of his will. Okay, whatever his will is, is it brings pleasure to him. So he knows about our fall. He knows we're going to make a bad choice, but he still creates us. And that's not a flaw in God. That's actually showing us, like you said, Ashley, that this gives us the panorama of his character, that he not only loves uh, righteousness, but he loves redemption. And he actually pursues with redemption. So this is a, and this is a hard thing for us to understand. And it, you know, believe me, I, I get kind of short-circuited on some of this stuff immediately, but um, his, uh, his purpose is for his glory and his pleasure. And part of that glory and pleasure is wrapped up in this idea of redemption. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's kind of like the Apostle Paul, I think, in Romans 9. You know, he builds this argument and he quotes from the Old Testament. You know, what does the clay have anything to do to say to the potter? You know, why have you made me this way? Because, like, the argument Paul's making in Romans 9 is, can, you know, why can't we say to God, well, if I have no choice in this in the sense that I'm born in sin, you made me this way. And God says, well, wait a minute, that's really not ultimately true. You're the way you are because of your own volitional choice. And that's the picture of like, and so he says in Romans 9.22, Paul says, you know, what if God, in wanting to uh, uh, show his wrath and demonstrate his power, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath destined for destruction? And what if he did this so that, the, uh, so that he might reveal the riches of his glory to the objects of his mercy. He just, God just does that because he wants to display the glory through his mercy. So I think that's a, a good reminder. I, I want to kind of uh, like continue with what you were saying, Ashley. Um, it, it made me think if we were all created with no flaws, then we would have a very robotic programmed generic relationship with the Lord and probably each other too, right? So it, you know, I, I looked up the actual definition of romance and it's the feeling of excitement and mystery associated with love. And I think that would be very difficult to achieve if we were without any flaws, if we didn't feel a need to be saved or re redeemed, like you said. So that's, that's one thing. Um, the other is and I'm just going to go there because, but it's... Go there. Go. Sometimes go there. Go. when you're around somebody that's too perfect or trying to be perfect or constantly trying to establish perfection and they expect that from you, it's, it's kind of annoying, right? And so I think of it as like... There's no romance there, is there's, there? It's not romantic. It's, it's We want romance. Impossible. We want flaws. It's, it's honestly like you're trying to jump up and touch a 15-foot rim it's impossible and we'll never get there and that's why you know again we, we all fall short right and so i think of it as there's there's beauty in that because it makes us be able to relate to one another because nobody's perfect right it doesn't matter if you're a believer a non-believer if you've been a believer for your whole life or just two days it brings us to that humility like like first peter five six right and that makes me think of what we talked about a little bit earlier. You know, go after the AI piece. I loved your comment okay. about the whole AI. That was that fits in yes. this flawlessness. I thought that yeah. was so that mm -hmm. was so on point. I, I'm glad this was brought up because a lot of what our society is doing is leaning on AI, creating theories about it, and trying to predict where it's going to go. For one thing, it's a technology that's built by humans who are flawed. So 
it is inherently flawed, regardless. It, this thing is... You, Can I hear an amen? Right? <laughs> so that's one thing. The other is... I still want to watch it. For those of you who were here last week, I still want to watch whoever it is that's trying to save AI. Who has it? Oh, chat. Chat. Chat GPT. Yes. <laughs> I just think that's hilarious. I've been trying, I think I said last week, I've been trying to witness to Siri and see what she'll do, but yeah. Go ahead, okay. Eric. So speaking of chat GPT, the free version right now is version 3.5. It's much better than 3.0. It's not as good as version 4.0, but if it was perfect, why would there be any versions? It would just be version nothing. You and mean it I would can stop buying Apple beginning. watches? Like eventually they're going to be perfect? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These things are meant to become obsolete so they could keep making money. But so that's that's one thing. Preach. The, the, the other thing about ChatGPT is going off of what was said last week, you, you, you can go through the challenge of trying to convince it that, you know, Jesus is real. He is our savior. He, we, we fall short. This is funny because we, we I, I walk with some brothers and we do like a, a daily devotion in rotation with one another and I was like what does this verse mean and it went in I, I went into it with chat GPT and in the end I always try to say because I believe AI will uh, is programmed to be a little bit more helpful if you're polite to it and so I said thank you so much this is really helpful and it said have a blessed day <laughs> no we have it in witness so, whether it professes its faith or not, it will at least go through the motions with you, Blessed which is kind of cool. Blessed right? are the chat GPTs, for they shall inherit something. My, my son-in-law is a techie, and he, his theory is that a lot of Christian programmers have been involved with the chat GPT because there is a they're language. They're infiltrating. Almost, so. Yeah, they're infiltrating. Um, I love this whole thing about just God love. I, so much has been said and said so beautifully tonight already about love and choice. And I think going back to to First John, God is love. God is a relationship. And for me, what wrecked me was recognizing that in his love and the love between the Trinity, we were created knowing that we would um, we would rebel. And knowing that we would bring sin as, and the curses found throughout the universe, that we would, we would bring rebellion into God's world. We would harm his creation that he still chose to make us. He still chose to create us. And then he chooses to recreate us in Jesus. He sends his son into this flawed world that we broke to fix it and to, and to make all things new. And it just blows me away, the, how, love, how much God does love. And what hit me, you know, I was a, many years a Christian already. I wish I would have seen it sooner, was that when you look at Ephesians, which um, Paul speaks so beautifully to God choosing us before the foundation of the world. I'm going to read one four. And two, four, and tell me what you pick up. For he, God, chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that, that he had for us, made us alive in Christ, though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. What did you hear? I know I kind of emphasized it, cheated, but love. I always thought that God saved me to, to just to display his glory, meaning like his weightiness, which is part of it, but his glory is his love. 
So to me, how, how much more powerful is God's love on display in creating us from the foundation of the world, knowing we would, we would choose to rebel? And, and Adam and Eve actually had the option not to. They were created um, with the ability not to sin, and they chose sin. We are created with, we are unable to not sin. And someday when Jesus comes back, we will not be able to sin. Woohoo! Won't that be great? So Adam and Eve, in some ways, were created in a way to resist sin, and they chose not to. And God still didn't wipe them out and start over, or instead, he always planned to bring Jesus so he could show the extent, extent of his love. I don't know. To me, that helps me overcome apathy as we will start to transition towards apathy. So transitioning this to apathy, because I think this is part of the question, part of the impact of the fall is that while God is never apathetic about us, we become apathetic about him, even as believers. So we have a, a world that is not only apathetic, but if we're honest, how many of you have had a season where you really have forgotten about God. You haven't been awakened to the things of God. You haven't been passionate about prayer, evangelism, being with other believers. So part of the fall is that we will struggle with apathy as believers. Um, So the question is, why does God allow apathy for believers? Why not, when he saves us, just make us spiritually vibrant from the day we become a believer to the day we meet him? In 2 Corinthians, Paul talking about the thorn in his side, starting in verse 8, it says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that just, God gets so much glory in our imperfections when we show that we can't do it all on our own, that when we are weak, he is strong for us. When we are weak, he has us and is carrying us. And in that process of sanctification, he's getting so much more glory from it. Because if everything was just perfect when we gave our lives to Christ, then everybody would be a Christian because they would see that and they'd say, oh, that's the easy answer that it goes from everything's perfect for the rest of my life. But that's not how it works. What happens is God gets the glory from that and uses that testimony, I think, in other people's lives. You know, he uses that testimony of how we respond in our weakness to witness to other people who don't know him or encourage other people who are also walking in seasons of life where they're, where they're walking through those weak moments. So the first thought that came to mind for this question for me was if some believers are on fire, and this could be seasonally, right? It's, someone may be on fire for a week or a month or a season, but uh, some are on fire and some are on apathetic. Having those two different types or two different seasons allows us to see the difference, right? It's easy to tell when someone's on fire because they can't contain it, right? They, it just spews out. It doesn't matter who they run into. It will always be trying to evangelize for the kingdom of God versus if someone's apathetic, they will be the ones that purposely show up late, leave early. They don't want to engage in any conversation. And it's, in a way, it not only allows us to see that contrast, but it's, it kind of makes it relatable because I don't think we were wired to stay in one state forever, right? There's always ways that the Lord would, will bring us near. It could be a sunset or it could be a diagnosis. It could be something that just draws us closer to him and 
he'll he'll help us through that apathy if we if we seek him. Yeah, I think you know apathy is so underground because really you know you could be going through all the motions, you could be in church, you could actually look like you're fervent, but God sees our hearts, and sometimes people are going through motions, but really they don't really care. There are times like that in my life too, you know, and so it's some people kind of like, you know, like if we're living off people's images of us, it's really easy to just sort of like pretend sometimes. And I just say as a pastor, that's the danger of being a pastor because everybody thinks you're always on, everything's great, you're always living in the clouds, you know, you never sin, you never have any coarse words with anybody. You know, that's not true. You know, we're all sinners. We all struggle. I struggle. So, so I don't think, it, it wouldn't be fair to say that God is, you know, uh, ever happy when we're apathetic. But I like what you said, Eric, that he allows seasons, I think sometimes, of apathy so that we can see the beauty and the blessing of what we're missing. And we have to be honest. We have to stay honest about that. That's why we need people, community in our lives. We were talking about this earlier, and I was reminded of a season in my marriage. I've been married to Jeff for 36 years, and he's, he, he's great with me sharing this. Um, but we had a, a good a pretty long season, what we called an ice age, um, where he had really kind of checked out emotionally, um, relationally, and was pretty caught up in his work, and and I couldn't reach him. And um, I'm sure I complained. I'm sure I did a lot of things wrong. At one point, I just stopped and and kind of grieved the loss for him and for me. And at one point he came to me, um, he had actually been in Ecclesiastes, one of your favorites, I think, Pastor Larry. He had been in Ecclesiastes and he was convicted and he came to me, he was more than convicted, he was repentant. He came and found me and said, I have not been loving you for a long time. And for the first time I'd ever seen him show that kind of emotion too. And there was something so stunning I would never want to go through that season again, but it was so beautiful. Um, it was it was holy, and I think for us to interrupt that shame of apathy, that when we recognize it, when we're convicted, it, like if Pastor Larry's message convicted you, I would guess this is exactly what his heart would be for you, and what the Lord's heart would be for you is to know that that's stunning. It's beautiful to recognize our apathy. And to go to Jesus and not find shame, but find that he is so rejoicing that we've come back for our good. You know, he's not angry, jealous wife like I was. He is a, a welcoming savior who says, yes, I want your good. So I just think it's so beautiful to think of the recognition of apathy as worship. To me, that woos me out of apathy to know that he just continu- he continues he continues to pursue me. And it makes me think too, Eric, when you were talking about these seasons and knowing the difference too, that maybe sometimes as Christians, we're so focused on having a victorious Christian life. And I can completely relate to Pastor Larry, when you're like paid to be a Christian, it's really difficult. You know, you think you've got to have it together and always be, be uh, fervent. But um, what if the goal is more than a victorious Christian life? What if the goal is a dependent life on Jesus? Connecting back to what you said, Ashley, what if what Jesus is wanting more from us is those times when we come to him and say, I haven't been loving you, Jesus, more than he wants us to get it right all the time? And 
what a great opportunity we get to confess to one another and say and ask each other to pray for us to have faith that Jesus isn't apathetic about me and I'm safe to go back to him and ask him to light that fire back and show me how to cultivate it. There's a, a resource we're going to be recommending called Overcoming Apathy. You'll find that it, it um, highlights a lot of the great things that were in Pastor Larry's message and then does a little bit deeper dive if you want to spend more time. I have found this to be really powerful as a counselor and really helpful personally. And the, um, the author gets into some causes of apathy. He, has, he identifies seven. Let me tell you what these are. Um, doubt, grief, triviality. We spend, we, we hyper-focus on the unimportant and we under-focus on the very important, right? Triviality, feelings of inadequacy, lack of discipline, fragility, and lack of purpose. So back to the panel, from your own experience or observations as ministry leaders or as believers, um, from the list above, think about seasons of apathy for your own life or for those that you love. What, uh, which, which of these influences grab your attention. Like I just shared for me, grief has really grabbed me this week. Like, oh, that's what's happening. I'm, I'm grieving a lot of things right now. And I can, in those moments where I just don't feel like doing anything, I think there's some grief I need to deal with. I need to work through some grief. How about the rest of you? For me, I think disappointment, you know, whether it's, well, ultimately all disappointment is in God because... <laughs> You know, if you're disappointed with something in your life and you believe really that God is in control of your life, it, it's going to trickle up, you know, to that. That so, is so critical. Can you repeat that? I think that is so important what you just said. Yeah. So whatever we're disappointed in, you know, uh, uh, your job, you know, your situation in life, your kids, your wife, your husband, your whatever, you're disappointed. But if God is really in control of all things, and he's, like Ashley said, you know, our, our weakness, his strength is perfected in our weakness, then ultimately we can trust and we can say that God is going to work this out for my good, his glory. But my disappointment, if I'm not careful, as it trickles upward to God, just kind of puts me in a place of like, ah, you know, like maybe I can't really trust God. You know, like maybe he's really not going to come through. He said he would, but I haven't seen it yet, you know, like, and that's very you know, shallow of any of us to say those things because we're in these little thin slices in life and we're so, you know, we forget the hundred million things that God has done before to show us his faithfulness, but we're, we're obsessing over this one part in a moment. So, yeah, so for me, I just, disappointment, I think, is a, one that shifts me at times into kind of a neutral, apathetic attitude. I think similarly that disappointment or that doubt, not doubt in my salvation and not doubt in the truths that I know about God, um, but doubt in the season of life that I might be in. Um, I think for a while when I used to live overseas in Uganda and when I left, I left earlier than I thought I was going to and felt like I stepped into this murky cloud of not knowing which way was up. And for about four years, just kept praying through Mark 9, you know, talking about the father of the demon-possessed child, that, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Like, I believe that 
you are now good. Now there's a life verse, right? <laughs> you know, I, I believe what your word says, but show me where in my life I'm not believing you are enough or I'm not treating you like you are enough, like you are holy, like your plan for my life in whatever season, if it's months, if it's years, if it's not going the way that I want it to, that Lord, I'm doubting you in this moment. Like I believe, just help me in the unbelief of where I don't treat you as like you're enough. I, I think I struggled similarly with disappointment. You know, I went through a season eight years ago where uh, there was like deep grief. And so first I was, I was not as disciplined. And so I had a lot to learn, but I also, I went through a lot of grief. You know, my, my dad passed away. One of my best friends from childhood passed away. I received a diagnosis that made me very uncertain and it, it just made me spiral. And I'm like, God, what did I do? You know, I'm like, it made me withdraw at first and made me say like, I, I will never have an answer for any of this. Uh, but, and it, it also brought in the, the feeling of fragility, right? Seeing people in front of my eyes dying of natural causes, it's, there's, it's unavoidable. I just felt so weak, right? And so, um, but you know, the Lord is gracious. Um, Patty, I like what you were saying earlier. It's just his love from the, the, the verses that you shared in um, Ephesians, right? So it also reminds me in Lamentations, because of his great love, we are not consumed. You know, so it's, he brought me closer and he was, he honored my, my doubt in a way where I, I, I came to him, I was disappointed and I said, why would you do? And he was so faithful and I'll, I'll, I'll never stop sharing that with people because you go from a season of doubt, season of disappointment, and then he sets your feet on a rock, which is himself. And then it's like, I can't unsee it now. I can't unfeel it. I can't not speak of it. And I'm not saying I'm on fire all the time. I'm not going to say I have the zeal that I aspire for. It's just more like, it's, it's a true story that doesn't, it's not just a feeling. It is a, a gift that I received from the Lord, right? And so it just, it reminds me of the, the verse from Proverbs. It's uh, Proverbs 13, 12. It's, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but um, a, a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And I'm like, hope deferred me. I, my heart was sick, right? And we all can get there. But when the Lord fulfills that longing, then he is our, our tree of life. And I'm just so grateful for that. Let's go start moving towards some good news now. Um, and so I want to pose this to, to our panel friends. How do you cultivate spiritual engagement now that you've recognized or in those seasons where, and Eric, you spoke to this a bit, but what does it look like to cultivate spiritual engagement? And I was so appreciated in Pastor Larry's message on Sunday, the role of repentance in apathy. So where does repentance come in? So how do we cultivate spiritual engagement and what's the role of repentance? for each of you as you cultivate this. Yeah, I think we live in a world that insulates, even in the Christian church, we insulate against confession and repentance. But this is actually the way we should live our lives, in daily confession and repentance. And sometimes those words seem so bad to us. 
and that we live in this little bubble of like, well, like, you know, like when was the last time you confessed sin to somebody? You know, like if you can't even think of a time, <laughs> then maybe you're living in that bubble a little bit. And I'm not saying, I don't want to be judgy on that, but because we confess to the Lord too. So maybe your confession is just right vertical up to the Lord. And that's what the most important piece. But I think cultivating a, a lifestyle of confession and repentance includes doing that with others in the body of Christ. You know, James says, confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. Uh, you know, I think it's, they're, they're two very uh, outward. So I've, you know, I've got a few people in my life that um, I meet with on a regular basis. I'm sure we all do. We hope, I hope we do. It's called community. And if you have community that's meaningful. It's called Christianity. Not, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like, I'm not talking about just a once a week gathering with a group of people that that's necessarily community because you can hide in that too. But if you've got people that you can actually be known by where you can say to someone, this is where I'm struggling right now and I need to get this right, so pray for me. And so as soon as you confess that, and you're acknowledging that it's time to turn that around in your life, the Holy Spirit meets us. This is what he loves to do. So it's really not rocket science. The Lord just loves to have us recognize. So it's, it's recognizing. It's the first step is just recognizing there's something wrong and needs to change. And then the Lord is right there. He, he's not dragging us through all these hoops. You got to jump through this and that. And, you know, like I feel sorry for people who, in their religious expressions, bring it all down to forms to where there's no form needed. The Holy Spirit sees our heart. And just the moment we turn, he's there. So I, I think just a lifestyle of confession and repentance is a, is a great way. And like I said, with some trusted relationships. That's like the cornerstone of our Protestant Reformation, right? The number one of the 99 theses is the Christian life is a life of ongoing repentance. Coming out of a Catholic background, repentance was really scary for me. It felt very shaming, and um, I just always felt like it was this. And the longer that I've been in the Word myself and been in community, I now see repentance as this. It's not this, it's this. It's, it's, it's this chance to get close to my Father who wants my good. His mercy and His goodness are chasing me back to Him. It's His kindness that leads me to repentance, not His shaming. And, and so now I'm finding like repentance. I'm beginning. It's a process. I'm still got, my wings are still growing from that horsey thing. But that process of, of longing to repent because there's this restoration. So when our kids were little, little antidote, we had a little discipline process of disciplining our children when they, when they rebelled and then restoring them. Well, one time our, my son came to me very little and, and started confessing what he did wrong without me catching him. And I was like, why is he doing that? Well, it was because he wanted the restoration. And it was so beautiful that it was like, well, when do I get the prayer and the hug and the, you know, he felt the distance and that, that spoke to my heart. Like, I want to be, I want to confess to God before he catches me because I want my relationship with him to be sweet, not because I'm a bad girl. Does that make sense? So how about the rest of you? How do you cultivate? So I just, I'm so grateful that you talked about repentance and I just want to redeem repentance as a beautiful thing because um, it really can be quite quite beautiful. Painful, but beautiful. How about you two? What are you thinking? Um, before unpacking that, I'd love to share just a quote from the book, um, the Overcoming Apathy book. 
Apathy is a coping mechanism meant to shield us from getting hurt or disappointed. Those who have the fortitude to stand in the path of pain don't have to resort to apathy or disengagement as a survival strategy. Self-protection is the mother of apathy. Resilience and anti-fragility are her arch enemies. There is a vicious cycle. Non-exposure to and non-acceptance of hardship lead to greater weaknesses, which then require greater protection, which leads to further weakness and so on. All the while, our self-protective bubble gets bigger and bigger and pushes us further and further from the messy world of meaningful things. And that that stood out to me and just reminded me kind of what you're talking about, Larry, is you have to do it in community. We in apathy try to hold people at arm's length. We don't want to get into other people's mess with them. We don't want to have people see our mess, but we can never truly grow if we're always doing that, if we're always, you know, staying in that self-protective bubble and not in community. And that can look in so many different ways. You know, that can be a mentor, that can be your life group, your small Bible study, but having those core people who aren't afraid to both say, hey, I've, I've noticed you've been a little bit different lately. Like I've noticed something off lately, but on the flip side as well, people that you're not afraid to confess sins to, you're not afraid to say, hey, I'm walking through this and I really want you to come and pray with me, you know, be that person. Like I joke that I wear my sins on my sleeve. So if someone's asking like, hey, what's going on? I'm like this and like, oh man, if she's telling me that, what's actually like going on under the surface of that? And I'm like, no, I, I trust me, it's that. That's why I shared, <laughs> you know, that's why I shared it. Like, I want prayer for this. I want you to walk through this with me because it's a reminder that we are the body of Christ, not just a, you know, not just, okay, God, I'm just giving this to you in isolation. But that is the first step. If you feel like, hey man, I'm in that season of apathy right now, recognize it and confess it and give it to the Lord and specific confession too. Not just Lord, just I'm lifting up my sins, but confessing, Lord, I've been apathetic. I've been apathetic in this season, in this moment. Help me help my heart through this, but also invite your community into that to help walk you through that. Unless we're listening to the voice of God in our lives, you know, like there's nothing like God's voice that can pull us out of a spirit of apathy. Uh, and, and that has to be intentional because you can read scripture with a check the box mentality. But if you're reading, pursuing the Lord, um, you find him, you know, you find him. If you knock, the door will be open. Jesus promised that. So I just say that's a huge part. I, when I talk to people who feel like they're stuck, you know, I always ask a follow-up question of like, well, what is your current, like, what is your practice right now of just hearing from God? How, how is that going with you? And a lot of times people are saying, well, I just, I, I just can't get there. I, you know, I was like, well, wow, but you're, you're letting the voice of God go mute in your heart. The Holy Spirit's speaking to us, don't get me wrong, but... There's something about the, the power of the word of God, the rhema, the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. We, if we don't engage in the scriptures, the word of God, we, uh, we're just bound for trouble that way. Yeah. And just speaking of that, this morning I was reading, this is Isaiah 30. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. That's what God says through the prophet Isaiah and one of the books that has really helped me just understand God's heart that we've all been talking about, I just want to, I, wrote, I keep this post-it note in my Bible because it's such a great quote and I should know it by heart, but this is Dane Ortland's in uh, his book, Gentle and Lowly. He says, when you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish, perplexity, and sinfulness, you're actually going with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. So you, you come to the Lord and he's like going, yes, you know. Instead of we thinking he's got his 
finger pointed at us. He's actually got his arms open to us. So let me, let me ask about, I love that. Let me ask about creativity in this. So uh, for a lot of us, we hear, you know, open your Bible. Are there, are there other ways in which you're hearing God's voice? Like, you know, apps or letting the scripture be read over you. You know, I'm thinking um, even in counseling, sometimes I've had people who the Bible has been used to harm them. And so we have to think outside the box of what it means to hear God's word, God to hear God's voice through his word. Have any of you had any experience in, in um, you know, drawing a verse, painting, music, um, having scripture read over you that helps cultivate? Journaling, I think, is great. Read scripture and then just write about it. What is God saying to me? Have a conversation with the Lord. And journaling somehow does it differently than just talking in your spirit. That's been powerful in my life, too. Thank I wish you I could draw. One. I'd just be stick figures if <laughs> yeah. I drew. But, drawing, you know, stick figures, yeah. actually, I've seen them be transformative. You know? Okay. Well, I'm going to try that then. That's yeah. good. I've seen a little stick figure in a pit <laughs> from the Psalms. <laughs> and it rocked a world. There you go. Um, music was something helpful for me early on because when I first came to faith, I was about 17 and the Bible was really daunting for me. I didn't understand it. I didn't know how to unpack it, but I understood music and I understood worship music. And that was kind of like my gateway for really following in love with the Bible and understanding it and understanding the truth of it was just hearing these songs that while reading through scripture, I'm then recognizing, oh, this worship song is actually scripture. This song is actually scripture through here. And yeah, and that just really helping my heart, even, you know, in times where maybe you're like, oh man, I, I can't just sit and look and read up my Bible right now, trying to listen to it, playing it on the Bible app, hearing it instead of seeing it sometimes. If you feel like, man, I've read this page four times and it's not sticking, it's just listening to it, listening to scripture while you're reading along to it, listening in general. Um, I stole these from the book, so another little snippet from there. For cultivating meeting, having a clear sense of what you are about, and I think you kind of touched on this, Larry. It's like, what does my rhythm look like? What does my lifestyle look like? Like, take an evaluation of the past month. Like, what does the day-to-day -day look like? What are you reading? What is? What are you letting your mind wander on? What are you doing with your time while you're doing that? Um, and taking silence seriously. Sometimes it's easy for us to get overwhelmed with, I just want to intake as much information as I can because I want to drown out my own thoughts and don't want to hear my own thoughts in this moment. And sometimes listening in that silence and just saying, Lord, this is where I really am. Letting yourself give those thoughts over to the Lord in those moments, um, including like solitude or Sabbath, taking a day or, you know, eight hours to go and be intentional and spend time with the Lord um, and practicing gratitude, like writing a gratitude list of, hey, Lord, what am I grateful of today? Sometimes it might be harder than others to really find, but maybe it's, hey, Lord, I have, I have breath in my lungs today. That's my gratitude. That's what I have. And putting that there. Um, and this one I thought was interesting is embrace slow, long-term media and longer, more thoughtful pieces of writing because I think in the social media age today, we get these snippets and we just want these bite-sized, want to be fed with little like seconds and moments or short essays rather than really taking the time to study a topic or spend time with the Lord on you know a longer book or reading, yeah, reading something different. 
I, I like you speaking before me because you, you inspire so much She stirs thought. up ideas for so, you, huh? Doesn't she, she, gonna say every she's time cultivating I, your spiritual engagement just in so her good. answering, huh? It's so good. The, you You're know. all cultivating my spiritual engagement. It, I'm so grateful for same, each of you. Same, I would say the same. So one of the ways that I kind of just build in a little extra time with the Lord is um, choosing to listen to podcasts while running every morning. Amen, brother. So Let's go. Marathons. I will say it takes a while to get used to, and you have to find people who are engaging and... Um, we can highly recommend Three Crosses podcast with, with AJ. Yes. yes. So I will say, Pastor Larry, you probably don't know this. Beginning of the pandemic, we went into that. Um, you had a podcast series about um, the Lord's Prayer. Oh, man. We, we, we shared that with our small group. I converted it from the email into MP3s in a Google Drive, and I listened to that for like the first two months of the pandemic because it was like 30 episodes right so anyway there's there's that and there's a 30-day challenge if you yeah. go to three crosses dot uh what is it uh, dot church now i guess slash pray uh you can find it there mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and so that got me thinking why don't i replace the like the high like the upbeat you know high energy type music that gets people traditionally like pumped up for, for some kind of exercise and instead listen to a, a Christian-based podcast or even a sermon, right? And so I, I enjoy doing that. Um, somehow it, it also just makes me want to continue it all through the morning and then, and then the rest of the noise of the day starts to trickle in, right? But there's something about being in the dark and just listening to a Christian brother or sister, and uh, it's very fulfilling. The other thing is I, I make it a, a rule where if I forget my AirPods in my room and I get to the point where I put my shoes on downstairs, they are not coming off, and that's a sign God wants your silence. He wants you to be outside, and he will put on your heart every person, everything that he wants you to pray over, and so... Probably twice a month, I forget my AirPods because it's I have that exact same practice. <laughs> it must be a runner thing. Like, okay, I forgot them. Oh, I guess we're gonna, I'm going to be quiet and I listen do that to too. you and pray. Isn't that I crazy? Do. Although I don't run. But. When, when you walk, you do that? Um, another practice that um, I've been able to walk through with people with, with counseling is to actually draw or write what is, what's swimming in your head and heart before you open the word. And write that out, journal ahead of time. Here are the things that concern me. Here are the things that are bothering me. Here are the things I'm excited about. Then when you open the word, especially like in the Psalms, watch how God wants to speak right into what you already identified. Sometimes we flip that. We go to the word and we're expecting that to apply to life. But I think the Lord is great with saying, tell me how you're doing first. And then open my word. And I found that to be very engaging and somewhat beautifully surprising too. I went for four, I think it was four days and just went backpacking. Probably not a smart idea considering things that could have happened, but you know, I was by myself, I'm up in the wilderness and I just brought my Bible and my notebook and I just went through all the gospels. I read 
through from Matthew to the end of the book of Acts, and I just took notes through that time. And it's not that much reading, really, but like every day, Matthew one day, Mark one day, John, Luke, John, and then Acts. I kind of get those five books into the four days. But it was amazing to me, and the thing that struck me was the concentration of what happens when you just read. We just we do soundbite reading a lot, and we forget that the Scripture is written for an entirety of an impact. And so just, if you ever have, and you would be surprised how many books of the Bible you can read cover to cover in less than an hour and just have a whole download of a theme and a focus instead of just like little verses here and there. So that was powerful for me. And I just recommend it to anybody. If you can find a spiritual time, we talk a lot about fasting here at Three Crosses, or we're talking more about fasting, I should say. And that's also a great time when you're fasting to just open God's word. Mm -hmm. Let the hunger pang remind you of your need for intimacy with Christ. Not necessarily the, the words of scripture, but that's also important. But yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. This is great. Thank you for that. Let's um, I'm gonna wrap up just real quickly. We'll just be real brief on this one and then give you a couple of minutes together. Um, back to our topic for tonight. My life is good. Why should I care about God? I wanna pose this last question. What good can come from recognizing our human tendencies towards spiritual apathy, especially for that neighbor or friend that says, I'm good, why do I need God? I think Eric really touched on this earlier, um, but just to expand on it a little bit more, right? Nobody wants to see that perfect person. Nobody wants, you know, it's like people want to see the real you. And when we show that recognition and that vulnerability of like, man, this is an area I've fallen short in my life. We're really being more relatable with the people around us because they're going to see not only are we human and are we letting God work through us, but then you get to see that redemption power of God in, in that moment. And you get to invite other people in that moment and they get to see actively how God works through your life, both in the practice of recognizing in confessing that apathy, but also in how you're allowing God to continuously transform you. Yeah, I would say that, like, similarly, you know, if, if I, I, I could recognize, and it happens pretty often, like I, I can become very apathetic spiritually, and it's relatable, it, it makes you human. It, it confirms with people you're going through a human experience, even in a, a, a with things in the spiritual realm. We're still humans in the body. And so there are times, I would say even as recently as last month, I prayed, I repented. And I said, I'm sorry, Lord, for letting my heart become lukewarm. And you know you know what, it, I think, Pastor Larry, you said, you know, Revelation 3.20, it's, it's uh, what happens to a lukewarm heart is, is not good, right? And so I, you know, I, I asked the Lord, take this heart of, stone and insert a new heart of flesh and that's uh ezekiel like 36 2626 um and, and so i i think of it as you you pray it and you mean it and then you watch god work with it and he is so faithful to it he honors it you you come to him and you say lord i recognize my heart has become hardened it could be through a season or it could be towards a person and the next day I woke up, I believe he put in a new heart of flesh and I, I appreciate him for doing that. And to me, recognizing your spiritual apathy can bring you to your knees and it allows God to, to operate and, and he is always faithful. And what does that speak, especially to the non-believer? 
I, I want to say there's a kind of a theme going on here where it's like we, we all fall short, right? So Romans 3.23, it's, it's, to me, we have the same tendencies. Yeah. We, we are equally human, yep. even if we, we have the Lord to put our burdens onto and share with, we are human and we have the same tendencies as non-believers. I think it makes us relatable, like you said, Ashley. Yeah. Which is interesting to think about that actually when life is good, that can make us apathetic. We never even said that one. And so if somebody's saying to us, my life is good, why do I need God? We can actually identify at times and say, you know, there's seasons in my life that I have been apathetic spiritually because my life has been good. But what I've realized is this, or what God, this is the grace God showed me, or that opportunity to step in and identify. Yeah, what were you going to say, Ashley? I'm sorry. I think I stopped you. No, you're totally fine. Yeah, even beyond that, just how, like, kind of along what Eric was saying, those moments of when you recognize that apathy or you recognize that weakness, um, the, the difference we have is since we have this spirit inside of us, um, the the thought that comes to mind is when my grandfather passed, um, my aunt, who's not a believer, is pretty hostile towards Christianity, was, you know, falling apart. And I was, you know, I was on a tough spot as well. But remember her just asking me, like, how are you not completely falling apart? How are you not completely unraveling? And like in those moments of apathy and being honest with the apathy, even if it's a season of goodness, even if it's a season of man, I've been apathetic in here, just seeing the difference of how we respond in those moments because we do have the Lord. It's just so powerful for non-believers to recognize that um, we too wrestle that we too struggle and we don't fall into the trap that Larry beautifully described earlier and I can relate to too of, of being professional Christians because we can all do that, right? And um, I, I think that makes the gospel so much more appealing and on display, again, that, that God is never apathetic about us. Listen to the words of Isaiah 57 and then Isaiah 53. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him, I hid my face, and was angry. But he went on backsliding, apathetic, in the way of his own heart. I have seen her ways, his ways, and I will heal her. I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. And how does God do that? Here's the promise of the Savior from Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds our apathy is healed. All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid his iniquity on us all. Isn't this the good news? The good news is that God offers us, again, now from the book, the good news that God offers is that he will lead and restore wholeness to those who don't seem to care much about God because he cares that much about us. Listen to this last quote. For the apathetic, it might be comforting to know that although you were once dead and disinterested in the things of God, we were healed. Yet now we find ourselves experiencing the sickness of indifference and disinterest. Hasn't Christ healed us? 
Are we doomed to struggle unsuccessfully all on our own? The God who healed us and turned us decisively from being bored with him is still with us and for us by his wounds, inflicted even by our apathy. We are healed right now and can continually be healed by God.